There is a, a sense in which preaching is always a hypocritical kind of task. I teach and I give encouragement about what I think we should do or what I think we should think, but the fact is, is that I'm constantly faced with my own inadequacies. I don't always practice everything that I preach. I'd love to, uh, but I don't. Unfortunately for me today, my preaching will be at its hypocritical worst. And I, I, now I, gotta, I, I have to confess here too, uh, I had planned these thoughts in mind with Robin being in the assembly this morning, and she told me this morning as we got ready to come here that she wasn't going to be in here because she's doing children's assembly. Shot my whole introduction to pieces. Okay, But nonetheless, it goes for every week that I have to preach in front of my wife. And uh, today, it just happens that the theme for the morning in terms of the sermon is on marriage and making marriage what it should be. And unfortunately for me, the person who normally would be in here would be sitting here evaluating my sermon. Now as it is, she'll probably get the CD or something, and in the quiet of our own home, she'll explain to me all the ways in which I don't measure up. The rest of you won't be privy to all of that. My, my one saving grace is that maybe Robin knows and, uh, and doesn't doubt that I want to be a great husband she knows I'm not there for sure, but she does know that I want to get there. At least I think she does. And so I think she's really patient with me, knowing that I'm not quite there. The situation I'm in is maybe best exemplified by a couple of cartoons that I have want to have up on the screen here. This one says, Have you stopped to consider how much more effective my sermon would have been if you hadn't yelled, Ha! in the middle of it. Now what's classic about this is the preacher's wife's face. Okay? Look at her. Like, that is absolute rebellion. Like, she refuses to listen to his comment there and she's thinking to herself, you deserved every ha I've ever given you. Okay? And then there's this cartoon. My wife Anita will be contributing to my sermon, Candor in the Christian Home. Notice how she contributes. The sermon scorecard points he practices points he doesn't. So she's ready to do the tabulation. Now fortunately, because Robin's not here, I won't have her standing behind me today doing the tabulation. Thanks, Chris. Now there's another question here, though. If, if it raises questions about my integrity and hypocrisy and all of that when it comes to uh, whether or not I practice what I preach when it comes to marriage, uh, the fact is that you are in the same kind of circumstances. Do you want to see your marriage better? Do you? Do you really? Uh, do you want to have a better relationship with your spouse than you do right now? Is that something of concern in your life that you'd like to see uh, rectified? If so, the fact is that marriage demands commitment and work. And you have to be willing to throw yourself into marriage and not just take its existence for granted. And that's the way we are so much of the time we kind of take it for granted. Uh, Jack Mooney recently was telling me about a church uh, that he knows or a preacher that he knows and a book he'd read, I think from Toronto, in which the preacher has made this big point of saying to the church, look, if you're not in this for real, then go somewhere else. Like if you don't really want to do the Lord's work, like, there's no reason for you to be here just as a spectator. Why don't you just go somewhere else? Because what we really, really want to do here is the Lord's work. There, there's some sense in which marriage is kind of like that. 
Like if you're going to do this thing, do it all out. Do it with the best you've got. Be the kind of spouse that you really need to be. And let's not just play games with what it means to be a married partner. But let's give ourselves completely to that. I think God would like us to do so. And the thing I'm assuming this morning, by the way, is that if we have great marriages, my thought is that we're going to have great families as well. I think it's really hard for a family to be a great family and for children to do really well when the parents don't have the kind of marriage they need to have. I think that's tough. I'm not saying that every time a child goes awry that it's because the parents had a bad marriage. I don't think that's the case. But I do think it's pretty difficult for children to grow up and be what God wants them to be if the marriage in that family is not what it should be. And so there's good reason for us this morning to think I need to take seriously the task of marriage and devote myself to this. Now, this morning you have some outlines. They should be yellow pieces of paper. Is there anybody who doesn't have an outline this morning? Who really needs one, okay? You need one, Wayne. Wayne doesn't have one, and I know he really needs it, okay? Is there anybody else who doesn't have one and you really want one? Maybe I should say it that way because we all need it, okay? The people back in the booth, too. Okay, Anthea? Okay. Aunt Terry says he doesn't need it. Anthea says he does. <laughs> Go ahead. We're going to listen to Anthea on that one, okay? Anybody else? Okay. Brenda Coughlin. Because she knows. And then those people back in the booth too, bud. Thank you very much. So here are some points about marriage this morning. And there's lots of blanks to fill in. We'll just kind of fill these in. And I hope we'll learn some things about marriage. Where do these blanks come from? Well, in some sense, they come out of my own experience. Or these statements about marriage come out of my own experience. They certainly come from some reading that I've done about marriage. You know, anybody can look at the internet these days and find out about anything you want. And so if you want to be a great spouse, just do a search. Okay, great marriage. And somebody's going to tell you how to have a great marriage. There's no way of knowing whether or not they have one, but at least they have some wisdom about what a great marriage is. And of course, I like to think that my relationship with God would in fact make me a better spouse. I'm a Christian husband. I'm a Christian father, not just a father, not just a husband. And I'd like to think that my relationship with God alters the way that I conduct myself as father and as husband. And so here are some principles having to do with marriage, what it means to have a great marriage. Letter A at the top there. The primary principle. This is kind of like years ago when Ford said, quality is job one. There's a lot of other things that Ford was doing, but quality was supposedly job one. Here is letter A, the primary principle. Make the Lord the common foundation for your marriage and home life. Make the Lord the common foundation for your marriage and home life. As I said a moment ago, I would like to think that the fact that I'm a Christian means that I'm a better father and a better husband because I am a Christian. That should, in fact, impact me. There's scriptural teaching about what it means to be a husband and father. And so making the Lord the foundation for my marriage and my home life should contribute positively to that. Number one under that, base marital love in agape love and in the fruit of the Spirit. Base marital love in agape love and in the fruit of the Spirit. And then letter A under that, if, if you and I have the same outline, 
Agape, both exampled by God and taught in Scripture, is to be the well from which all relationship springs. Agape, both exampled by God and taught in Scripture, is to be the well from which all relationship springs. And I've, I've written down there 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, which kind of describes what love is supposed to be. And we all know this. God is love. And we're supposed to respond in love to other human beings. And no place is that to be the case more than in that special relationship that we have with our spouses. And so if there's a sense in which we could just stop right here. In fact, there's a sense in which we could stop right here with all of life. What if we just said, I'm going to be the perfect, loving person. No matter what that means, I'm going to be the perfect, loving person. In my relationship with my spouse, my relationship with everyone else, I'm going to be the perfect loving person. Well, if we could do that, we'd all be in a very good place. Agreed? And so there's a sense in which if you don't have the marriage that you want to have or you don't have the relationships that you want to have, you could just ask yourself, am I really the loving person that I need to be? And if you don't have those relationships like you want them to have, I'm afraid the answer is going to have to be no. I don't love like I should. And since this is the very foundation of what it means to be a follower of God, to be this loving person, then ask yourself first, how is it that I can love better? And you're going to be a long ways ahead. Letter B, live out the fruit of the Spirit in your marital relationship. Live out the fruit of the Spirit in your marital relationship. And I've listed the fruit of the Spirit there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right out of Galatians 5.22. What if you did that in your marital relationships? What if we did that every time we got in an argument with our spouses? And we just said, you know, I need to be loving. I need to be joy-filled in my relationship with this person. I need to be patient and kind. and I need to be long-suffering. I need to have self-control. That would, without doubt, change the ways in which we interact. But sometimes that's not how we interact with each other. And so we got these two great principles right off the bat here. Love each other and exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. And in that way, we are going to be much more the spouses that God wants us to be. And so number two under that, because God is the foundation, there's some things we're going to do together as spouses, as families, that will greatly strengthen our relationships. We're going to pray together. That's the first blank. We're going to worship together. We're going to grow together. And we're going to serve together. Pray together, worship together, grow together, serve together. And we're going to do it because God is the foundation of our marital relationship. And these are the very things that God calls us to do, not just as spouses, but as Christians, as human beings. And if we make God first in our lives, if we worship Him first and serve Him first, these things are just going to come together in our marriages the way that they should. Okay, now that, I think, is the foundation to it all. And we need to have that first. Now, what we don't do so often and we need to do is we need to make this overt in our relationships. So often it's just assumed. And we really don't work at this whole spiritual side to our marriages the way that we should. But I really think God wants us to. I think He wants some effort to be put into this 
marital relationship things, specifically regarding our spirituality together. And so, I know, because I'm a husband, I know that it's challenging for somebody to say, you really need to start praying with your wife. But you need to. And if you haven't done it for years, and you've intended to do it for years, but you just haven't got that done, but you know that you need to, then start. And don't just say to yourself, well, it's kind of embarrassing to start now after all these years, all of a sudden I'm going to start acting spiritual around my wife. What are you going to do? All of a sudden I put on this spiritual face. Do it anyway. I guarantee you that a Christian wife is going to appreciate her husband choosing to pray with her. I absolutely promise you that that's the case. And so do it. And God will bless you. I promise. Make some overt, intentional efforts to relate to your spouse in a spiritual way. And I promise you, your marriage will be better because you did. Because ultimately what we are as Christians, Christian spouses, is to be Christian. And being Christian with our spouse is crucial to that great relationship. Okay, big letter B on your outline. We'll go a little bit quicker through these blanks now. First of all, some practical principles flowing from the primary one. And we need to say that the, the practical principles need to flow out of the primary principle. First, we're Christians. First, we exemplify love. First, we exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. And then the elements of what it means to be a spouse, a husband or a wife, flow out of that primary principle of making the Lord the foundation of your relationship. So some practical principles. Um, and, and I need to say this too. You know, It's so tempting to think to yourself as we're talking about some practical principles how much your spouse really needs to hear this. Okay? That's the tempting thing. Man, I'm glad he's here today. He really needs to hear this. Oh, I'm glad she's here. She, she needs to know what Kelly's talking about here when it comes to practical keys to marriage. Well, put that thought out of your mind right away. It's not your spouse who needs to hear it. It's, in fact, you that needs to hear it. And so let's move this to get through this together, recognizing that we are the ones who need to hear it. Number one, next to God... Make your spouse your highest serving priority. Make your spouse your highest serving priority. And here's the, another way to say that. Love and serve God first and you will love and serve your spouse best. Love and serve God first and you will love and serve your spouse best. You know, people say all the time, especially people in the world, well, I shouldn't be loving God more than I love my spouse. I mean, how, what's my wife going to think when I explain to her that I actually love someone more than I love her and that that someone is God? Isn't she going to be a little bit bothered by that? And the answer is not if she understands what it really means to have a relationship with God and the ramifications on your life of having that relationship. Because when I love God first, it gives me the opportunity, like for the very first time, to be the spouse that I really need to be. Or in that, for that matter, to be the husband, or I mean the uh, father that I need to be. And I can be the best father to my children, and I can be the best husband to my spouse if I love God first. And so make your spouse your highest serving priority next to 
God. What does that mean? To make your husband your highest serving priority. What does it mean to make your wife your highest serving priority? I think it means to ask the question about what he or she needs from you most. What does he need from you? What does he need from you that you sometimes find it difficult to give? What part of yourself is it that you withhold? What is it that she really needs in a husband, but you say to yourself, ah, that's just not me. I I know she needs to hear me say this a lot. I know she needs me to be there to do this a lot. But it's just not me. And so you don't. Are you at that point serving your spouse the way that you need to serve your spouse? Because sometimes what she needs is for you to swallow who you think you are and to just be there for her and to serve and to serve her in that sense with all your heart. If it means communication and discussing yourself and bearing your soul with her, if that's what she really wants, she thinks, I want more than anything just to know him. Just to understand who he is. That's what I really want. I want him to just share himself with me. But he keeps all this stuff bottled up inside. And he won't ever let it go. Share. Share. Share yourself with her. Communicate. Is it a challenge for you to do so? Maybe so. But do it anyway. Because you're in the business of serving this person more than any. Maybe you're not the affectionate type. Just can't show affection. It's just not me. Show it anyway. Learn better how to show affection and do it. That's what she needs. That's what she wants. And you as her spouse who is also one who serves her need to break some barriers down within yourself and be willing to do that. Be romantic. Even in non-sexual ways. If that's what she really needs. I'm getting their looks out there like, what? (laughs) Can you make financial sacrifices for her? What is it that you want to spend money on for yourself when you know there's something that she really wants for herself? Are you willing to set aside your own desire in terms of some material possession and put that aside and say, I'm going to give it to her. She's going to get what she wants this time instead of me getting what I want. Am I stepping on the toes yet? Like it seems to me like that's the kind of thing that it means to serve your spouse, to give yourself to her in that way. Wives. Do you voice your appreciation for your husband, for the things that he does? Do you support him in the things that he does? Or, or, or this one, wives, do you ever get all dolled up and attractive with him in mind? Or does that only happen when you're thinking about the fact that you have to go to work in the morning? 
Or I got to go to the assembly on Sunday mornings. Or do you ever think I'm going to do this specifically for him when that's really what he wants? Oh, it's too much trouble. I have to do that all week. On Saturday, I want to kind of relax. And maybe what he wants is for you to look just as nice on Saturday morning as you do as you get ready to go to work on Monday. Do something that he enjoys. Recreate with him. Have some fun with your spouse because he wants to. Well, there's lots that we could say there about serving your spouse, but you get the picture. You put yourself second for that person that you claim to love so much and your marriage is going to be better because you did. Number two, regularly communicate in meaningful ways. Regularly communicate in meaningful ways. Now, after what I've seen this morning, maybe what we need to do is get a whistle. Everybody needs to get a whistle. Okay? But there are other ways that communication takes place and it needs to take place in meaningful ways. Guys, risk being honest about your feelings and your needs and your hurts. Talk about your hopes and your fears. Talk about your day, especially if it's been a rough one, and let her know how you feel. Tell her what she does right. Pay her compliments. Tell her the good things about the way that she loves you. And listen carefully to when she is talking and be interested in the things that she says. Try to see things from your spouse's point of view. Like there are so many communicative factors. Again, it's easy to look on the, look on the internet and just see how can I communicate better. <laughs> Untold number of ways that you can probably communicate better. But I'll tell you the key. And that is to say to yourself, communication between myself and my spouse is important. And if you think to yourself, it's not important, and I can just get through this by just being the silent person that I've always been, you're dead wrong. Because to be the the marriage that it needs to be, it requires, it demands communication take place at a profound and meaningful way. And sometimes that means I have to be willing to go out of my shell and share myself with my spouse in a way that I may not always. Share yourself with your spouse. Number three, regularly offer your spouse encouragement. How many times do you tell your spouse, looking them deeply at them deeply in their eyes and say to them, you really are number one in my life. Don't think she may doubt it or question it because she will because you spend all your time at work or you spend all your time watching television or you do something that takes you away from her. It's obvious why she would question whether or not she's number one. Regularly offer your spouse encouragement. Tell her she's number one in your life. And ladies... Don't be afraid to do the same thing. Sometimes we think because we do so many things for our husbands all the time that he just knows it and he just appreciates it. Communicate with him too in that way. Give him specific encouragement. Boy, especially when it comes to the things that he does in terms of being a man around the house. You know, our culture today challenges your husband's manhood at every juncture. And he needs to hear from you that you appreciate who he is as a husband and spouse. Number four, always speak to your spouse with love and respect. 
Always speak to your spouse with, with love and respect. And this is the point at which I'm so grateful that Robin's not here. <laughs> like, wouldn't I love to say that I'm always speaking to my spouse with love and respect? If she's as important to me as I say she is, then I should at least be as courteous with her as I am with other people. If one of you called me on the phone this week and started asking me a question, it's very unlikely that I would be gruff. Rebecca is sitting here. Brandy is sitting here. Lindsay's sitting here. I try to be nice with these people. And if you were to ask them whether or not I am, I'd like to think that they would say, well, yeah, he usually speaks to us with respect. He speaks to us in kind ways. Kelly's not rude. I'd like to think that that's what they would say. But the question is, is that what my wife would say? It's one thing for me to treat you like that, but how do I treat her? And I need to speak to her with love and respect. And you need to do the same with your spouse. It doesn't mean that you can't disagree. It doesn't mean you're always going to see things the same. But is it not possible to disagree with somebody and to do so kindly? Is it not possible to disagree with somebody and to treat them with love and respect in the process of disagreeing? I think it is possible. And so disagreement doesn't mean a lack necessarily of love and respect. And we need to have that come out in our voices You know and I know that probably the thing that we are the worst at and that does the most damage in our relationships with our spouses is the way in which we speak to them. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. How should you speak to your spouse in light of the fact that you're a Christian who is purporting to walk with the Spirit. Number five, practice forgiveness and extend grace to your spouse. Practice forgiveness and extend grace to your spouse. Maybe another way that I should say that is stop holding grudges. Just stop it. There's no reason to hold on to that grudge. Let it go. So he, he forgot your birthday last year and you're going to let him hear it for the next 42 birthdays. He forgot the anniversary and he'll never live it down as long as you're married. Let the grudge go. Forgiveness and grace extended to your spouse. Number six, work at being a peacemaker. Work hard at being a peacemaker. Whenever I perform a wedding ceremony, one of the things I always say in it is, as kind of a five-step, uh, five keys to marriage, I always say, one of them, don't let disagreements become and remain unresolved arguments. Don't let disagreements become and remain unresolved arguments. Another way to say that is, don't go to sleep angry at night. Like this idea that I'm going to be given the silent treatment for three days. That'll teach him. That doesn't teach him anything. And we need to talk to each other and work on those kind of disagreements. And by the way, I know this one very well. 
Because my wife is not one that you have a little riff with and then you just go to her immediately and solve it. Robin likes to patiently kind of relax about all of that. And so I have to keep going to her sometimes and say, okay, let's talk about this. And she's not ready. Sometimes I've just got to be patient and let her relax and rest. But she and I, even though she needs some time to relax and rest on that one and think about it, we don't let it just stay there. And we eventually talk about this and things get resolved. I want it fixed right then. She wants it fixed in an hour. And so we do sometimes let it go an hour, but it gets fixed. Speak gently. Don't accuse. Rebuild love. Don't withdraw and sulk. There's a difference between needing patience and saying, I'm going to go sulk about this. You know what I mean. Number seven. Recognize that you aren't just a team, but have become one. Recognize that you aren't just a team, but that you've become one. Teams go home at the end of the day. Whether it's your team at work, your ball team, they come together for a common purpose and then they disband. They have a whole nother life away from each other that is more important. But you, in the Lord, have become one. And so you have been, these are the next blanks, you have been spiritually joined together in a holy union. Your life together moves in a common direction. And so you need to recognize your oneness. And at the same time, understand that this reality without compromising each other's individuality. Okay? You are one. You're not just a team, but are one. Can you be one and at the same time not compromise your own individuality? You need to. Number eight. Focus on your own personal growth, i.e., change yourself. Focus on yourself, your own personal growth, change yourself. And again, that's where we stop saying, you need to listen to this, okay? Because you need to be the one who listens and focus on your own change and your marriage is going to be better. Number nine, fan the flames of romance. If Robin was sitting here, she'd probably say, he doesn't know the first thing about that. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to anything he says. That might be true, but it doesn't mean I don't know how important it is. It doesn't mean I'm not trying to change. And here's the point, guys. Sometimes what to you seems contrived or corny is likely by her to be considered caring and sweet. And so you think it's contrived. You think this is just the strangest thing in the world. Why would she ever want me to do this? She's going to feel like it's not authentic anyway because she probably had to tell me to do it in the first place. But if you do it, you're going to be blessed. I promise you that she's going to think it's caring and sweet. And so here's what I do. This one is true. This is the true story. When I call my wife's office and they answer the phone, Eagle Copters, I say, can I talk to the most beautiful woman in the world, please? And they know exactly who I'm talking about. 
Or I'll call the next day and I'll say, can I talk to the love of my life, please? And she'll say, sure, Kelly, just a second. And it's not because she recognizes my voice. Eh, it probably is. It's because she hears me say that and she's heard me, I'm talking about the receptionist, has heard me say that so many times. She knows exactly who I'm talking about. And what's really cool is she probably doesn't get another phone call like that all day long. How many guys are calling their wives and saying, can I talk to the most beautiful woman in the world? I don't think that many. But you all need to. Because it's a really cool thing. And, and when that receptionist hears me do that, you know how she responds? With glee. She loves it that I do that. Well, if she loves it, how do you think my wife feels? She loves it even more. And so when I get on the phone after I've said to the receptionist, can I talk to the most beautiful woman in the world? When my wife answers the phone, she is putty in my hands. <laughs> Boy, am I glad she's not here. It is a wonderful thing for her to hear that. She wants to hear that and she loves it that she does and I'll give her that all day long. It's cool. Try that one. You're going to be blessed, I promise you. Number 10. If and when romance wavers, let commitment be the solid rock to which you cling and allow commitment to rekindle romance. Sometimes we just need to do something because it's the right thing to do. And what will happen is that attitude will follow action. Act like you love your wife and one of these days you will. Treat her the way you should and your relationship in the process is going to grow even if when you started doing it you didn't feel like it. Treat her well and attitude is going to follow action. And so if romance ever wavers, be committed to her anyway and let commitment rekindle the romance in that relationship. I guarantee you this can happen. Number 11, never hesitate to say I love you. Say it with boldness. Say it often. Say it sincerely. Never hesitate to say I love you. Say it with boldness. Say it often. Say it sincerely. I've told you before, my goal is to have my children and my wife hear me say I love you more than any family in the world has ever heard it from the husband father. And I say it all the time. And whenever I say it, I mean it sincerely every time. I love them and I want them to know. Number 12. Never consider divorce an alternative. Never consider divorce an alternative. What if it gets absolutely intolerable? What if I can't stand the guy anymore? What if it's been like this for years and years and it seems like there's no hope? See numbers 1 through 11. And God will bless you, I promise. Wayne, let's stand and sing. We have the possibility of great marriages, folks. Let's work hard at it.